0: Hey, what's up, Liberty Lovers? This is your Felony Friday host, John Odermatt, coming at you real quickly. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to tell you about another great podcast, The Brian Nichols Show. Brian previously has been on our program, on our flagship program, hosted by Mark Clare. Mark, in turn, has been on his show as well. The Brian Nichols Show's, what do you expect? Who is it for? It's for folks who are tired of partisan politics Who is not tired of partisan politics right now? And it's for people who are interested in finding objective news without the media narrative. For those of you who are looking to take the next step and learn how to sell liberty from an expert sales professional, Brian's had some awesome guests on his show over the years. Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Matt Kibbe, Jason Stapleton, Larry Sharp. He has not had me on, so maybe he will correct that and take it up another notch and make his show even better. Regardless, Brian has a great program. Check it out. There's no better time to be checking out his show as he has just expanded to two shows per week. The Brian Nichols Show. Check it out wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends,
0: and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here at Lions of Liberty, we have a bit of a uh, variety channel. My Friday show, Felony Friday, is one of the great shows, but there's two more. On Monday and Wednesday, Monday's show hosted by Mark Clare, Wednesday by Brian McWilliams. They both bring their own flavor and flair to the podcasting game. Check those out. Subscribe to Lions of Liberty on your podcasting app to get all three. And today's episode of Felony Friday is another great one. I have an awesome guest lined up who is going to share another story of injustice in the criminal justice system. And we're going to shine a light and we are going to keep the momentum going. Keep the momentum going for change in the criminal justice system. So share this show, tell a friend, text it to a friend, tell a stranger on the street. I don't care. Enjoy today's show. All right. On today's episode of Felony Friday, I welcome back Chad Marks. Uh, Chad was back on the show uh, he was on the show back on episode 236 of Felony Friday, and we were talking about in depth about his case and about what he had to do to uh, really work his own way out of uh, out of prison. Uh, working as a jailhouse lawyer, not only for himself on his own case, but on other uh, on his friends' cases and and other people to help them to uh, achieve their own freedom. Some quick things about Chad. And of course, you can go back and listen to the full episode, but. He was sentenced to 40 years in federal prison, and uh, he took the law into his own hands to get out. Um, There were some missteps by his lawyer, probably, in that initial case, and he can tell you a little bit about that. But today, we're here to talk specifically about, to talk about the First Step Act, to talk about 924C stacking, and to talk about some other cases uh, that are ongoing in the works where Chad is working to uh, help to get some people out of prison. So, Chad, welcome back to Felony Friday.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks for coming back on, man. And before we get into talking about the first step Act nine twenty four C stacking, because I know that's that's a big passion of yours, and uh, you know something I want to spend the majority of the show talking about. Just for uh, my listeners out there who haven't heard you interviewed before, who don't know your story, if you could give them a, a rundown on your case and uh, you know your time served, what you had to do to get out, and and all that stuff.
1: Okay. Um. At the age of 24 years old, I was arrested and charged in federal court with a one, in a one-count indictment for a conspiracy to distribute crack cocaine. The government had made a plea offer back then that could have resulted in as low as 10 years if I would cooperate with the government, telling other people, and uh, simply go off to prison. Well, things didn't work out that way. I ended up pushing the case forward, and the government superseded my indictment with 16 more charges, which changed my mandatory minimum from 10 to 40 years. I was convicted by a jury. And at the age of 24, I was sentenced to 40 years in prison. It was the mandatory minimum. And that was largely driven by the stacking of 924C, which is possession of a weapon in furtherance of a drug trafficking crime. Um, I spent 17 years, five months, and I believe 21 days in federal prison. During that time, I ended up earning a college degree. I taught men at the prison how to read and write. I taught GED classes. I facilitate alternative, alternative violence project seminars. I worked as a suicide companion. And then after the first step back came out, I filed a, what was called a Holloway motion to my federal sentencing judge. And the federal sentencing judge said that he didn't have the authority to release me under the Holloway doctrine because it was a doctrine that came out of the Eastern District of New York by a federal judge by the name of John Gleason. So long story short, Um, That same judge ended up um, becoming an attorney, Judge Gleason. He stepped down from the bench, and he represented me later on, and my judge reduced my sentence under the first step back after finding there was extraordinary and compelling reasons in my case. And those were my rehabilitation and the fact that Congress had clarified that they never intended for people to have two stack 924C charges in the first indictment because those charges came with a five-year and 25-year term. So my judge reduced my sentence from 40 to 20 with good time credit. I got out of prison on June 25th, 2020. And that's kind of the basis of my story. Well, so
0: the part there at the end, when you got out of prison, there was a, a mistake or something that occurred where you were actually walking out of prison the first time
1: and they pulled you back in, right? Well, what happened was this. Uh, my judge released me. The government waited till that evening to file a motion to stay to try to keep me in prison. So the very next morning as I was walking out, my family had drove from Rochester, New York, to Lexington, Kentucky. About 10 hours, they were out there waiting for me. So I actually walked out of the prison, but I didn't get to the gate where the gate was still locked. And they called over the uh, walkie-talkies and told them to stop me, not to release me. And they took me back inside. So my lawyers had to file another brief to the appeals court in order to uh, get me released. And that panel found that I would, that panel found that I should get out and three weeks later I was out of prison. However, wow, crazy. I mean, there's more to that story, which I know, you know, the government is now appealing and trying to put me back in prison, but there was a big decision that just came out of my court on Friday in United States versus Zulu where the court found the appeals court found that judges do have the power under the first step back to determine what's an extraordinary compelling reason. And if they make that finding that they can reduce sentences. But the government's still pushing forward on my appeal, even though the court just said that their argument was wrong. And that appeal scheduled for October 26, 2020.
0: Right, so that's coming up coming up in about a month here. Yeah. yeah, so so that story with you getting pulled back in after being out in your family, even you know seeing you there. Um, we uh, I interviewed uh, Adam Claassen and Roe Claassen last week, and yeah. he was telling his story of of getting out on the fiasco that was with had not having the be address and everything, and them giving him the runaround just to get out, and he finally walks out. I don't know if you've heard this story. He walks out and Rose there, and they embrace and. Um, one of the prison guards comes out and said, "Adam or Clausen, we need you back inside." And he's like, "You're, you're joking, right? You're joking." <laughs> so at that point, yeah. they were like, "We got to get the we got to get the hell out of here." Yeah, I mean that's that's not even funny at all.
1: Adam's a buddy of mine. I know Adam well. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you, did you guys do time together? No, but he used to write things, <clears throat> and we'd be on the same um, line with this prison activist. And we talked about the first step back through emails and stuff like that while we were in there. And since he's been out, I've been in communication with him a lot. Okay. But I always knew Adam's case. I was actually with one of his co-defendants and USP Coleman down in Florida years ago. Okay.
0: Just to talk a little bit more about 924C stacking. So it has to do with, uh, with firearms, right? It's uh, firearms offense. Yeah. So how do they – and you're saying the first step act reorganized or or changed the fact that they they were never intended to be stacked, but it's not retroactive. It's only going forward. And that's even written out in the first step act,
1: right? Yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? 18 USC 924 C is possession of a firearm or furtherance of a drug trafficking crime and, or a crime of violence. So what Congress did, what happened was, the Supreme Court in a case called United States versus Deal in the 90s said that courts could impose a five-year sentence for a first firearm offense and a 25-year sentence for a second or consecutive and they could do that with 10 different firearms so some people ended up with three, 400 years off of these charges right but people have been arguing for years that that's not what Congress intended so what the first step back did was it came back and said you know what that is not what we intended we intended for this to be a recidivist enhancement, meaning, hey, you go to prison for a 924C in drugs, you don't learn your lesson, you get out of prison, and you get caught with a gun again. Now the second 25 years kicks in. And in the first step back, they said, hey, this is what we always meant. They didn't say we're changing the law. but they said was we're clarifying. It was mm-hmm. a clarification of 924C. So if you clarify that that's not what you always meant, then why, why wouldn't you make that retroactive, right? I mean, you had senators like um, Cotton and Ted Cruz. These were the people that were against it. But I think it's outrageous when you look at the and, – and this is in the race card, but when you look at the racial disparities, I mean, it's outrageous. If, if it's wrong mm-hmm. going forward, then it's always been wrong, right?
0: How, how many people – do you have any idea like what – how many people are in prison right now on uh, 924C stacks?
1: I can't give you the exact numbers, but I believe it's in the 3,000 area. Wow because I read a report a few years ago about it, but I can't give you the up-to-date stats right now, but I'll definitely look for them. And I should have i should have actually had them for us when we spoke today. So I apologize for not having them.
0: Well, no, that's uh, – I mean, th- it's probably tough to track down, you know, the exact number. But uh, I know there's a case uh, that you wanted to talk about with uh, – I'm probably going to say his name wrong, but Kepa Mau Mau. And yeah. he had, a what, a 100-year sentence – and similar to you, the judge reduced the sentence and he was actually out. Correct. And then the government appealed.
1: No, no. what happened was this, his judge ruled that his sentence should be reduced <clears throat> to time served before he could walk out of the prison. The government did exactly what they did. In my case, they went to the circuit court or the appeals court and they asked the appeals court to stay that decision to keep him in jail. Well, the 10th circuit did that. However, last week, that's my lawyer as well, John Gleason, he argued that case in front of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals and said that, hey, look, this this is the government's argument in a nutshell, right? They're saying that based off the first step back, that federal district court judges, the sentencing judges, don't have the power to determine what's an extraordinary and compelling reason. They argue that that power lies with the Bureau of Prisons, that only the warden or the BOP director, really the warden, can make that determination. So the government's argument is, hey, look, the BOP warden is more important or has better insight than a federal district court judge. And they've been making these arguments, you know, about the BOP, they make good decisions, they're in the best possible decision to make, best possible position to make these decisions. But we see what they've done with the COVID-19, so. And how many, we have over 130 federal prisoners that have died, right? And not to get off topic, but it just goes to show you the incompetence about the federal bureau of prisons.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've profiled that quite a bit on this show, the incompetence, the abuse, um, just the disgusting behavior by, by a lot of the uh, BOP. But, you know, a couple other cases um, that were also 924C stacking and Ronnie Lauderdale, who I believe you helped to, to well, get out,
1: right? Well, Ronnie Lauderdale didn't have a 924C stack. He had an 851. And the government also changed the 851s in the First Step Act.
0: So what is the eight, what is 851?
1: Well, 21 U.S.C. 851 is this. If you have one prior drug felony, and let's say your mandatory minimum was 10, it becomes 20. And if you had two prior drug felonies, your mandatory minimum becomes life. It goes from 10 to life. Jesus. And what they were doing is a lot of people would have, you know, a lot of people that ended up with life sentences for 851 were drug addicts. There are people that might have got caught with, you know, five $20 bags of crack in 1995. And then in 2005, they got caught with three grams of crack, but they're drug addicts. And then let's say years later, let's say in 2010, they're getting caught in a 50-gram or more crack cocaine conspiracy because they allowed a group of people to sell drugs out of their house for $20 a day. Well, now they 851 them guys and sent them to prison for the rest of their lives. And Ronnie Lauderdale was one of those guys that ended up with a life sentence based off of 851. So in the first step back, you changed 851, you changed 924C. You said that they were, really, you said they're grotesque sentences, that, that they're wrong. They shouldn't be applied, but yet you didn't make them retroactive. So that's Ronnie Lauderdale's story. But like we were talking about Mao Mau, if you want to go back there, I'd yeah, like to sure. say a couple of things. This is what people don't know and don't understand. Um, When Mau was first arrested, I think he was 19 years old, actually, right? And the government offered him a 10-year plea agreement. And when he filed his motion in the district court now, after he's got a couple hundred years, his federal sentencing judge, um, I believe it was Tina Campbell, the government argued, said, oh, mile Mile's is a danger to society. You, you should not let him out because that's one of the things that you have to prove that you're no longer a threat to public safety. So the government said, well, you know, we would agree, you know, to 25 years now. And the judge says, explain to me why 25 years is sufficient but not greater than necessary to achieve the goals of sentencing now. But back then you offered a 10 year sentence and really the government was stuck for words. I mean, how could they, I mean, how could you say you offer this guy a 10 year plea, but because he exercised his, exercised his constitutional right to trial Mm -hmm. that now we'll give you a deal for 25 years, or you can stay with your couple hundred year sentence. doesn't make any sense at all. No, I mean, where's the compassion, man? These are human beings. I'm talking about the prosecutors. I'm talking about the Department of Justice. I mean, is this a Department of Justice or a Department of Prosecutions? Seriously. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it comes down to
0: that. You know, I, and I often wonder with cases like this, like, how do these people, how do they sleep at night? You know, how how can they wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you know, what I'm doing with my job, keeping somebody like Mao Mau in prison, how How is that better in the world? You're taking someone's life away you're taking the ability of an individual to contribute value to society. not that you can't i mean you can contribute value to society well in prison, helping out in the prison doing different things, but you're you know you're greatly diminishing that.
1: Well, what you're doing is this I think we can I think most people can agree that we do over incarcerate our citizens, right So let's take a guy and I'll use myself as an example. I was twenty four years old made some immature, irresponsible decisions, irrational that I deeply regret. But you put me in prison at 24 and you were gonna release me at 64. But yet we tell the community and we tell the public that we want people to succeed in their reentry. I don't understand how you can take someone and put them in prison that long and expect them to get out 40 years later and succeed. So you're doing a disservice to the community. You're doing a disservice to taxpayers. Now, should there be consequences for actions? Of course there has to be consequences, but you don't take a 24 year old and send him to prison till he's 64. You just don't do it. They don't do that to murderers. People that kill people don't get that kind of time, you know? So it's just, I mean, the whole thing is, it's just outrageous, man. Mm-hmm. It really is. To me, it is. Well, it makes you wonder
0: how we ended up here with drug offenses being treated. It's such a disproportionate way to, uh, to violent crimes, even. Um, you know, what's, what, what's the, what's the reason for that? Any idea?
1: <laughs> I'm This one time I'm going to tell you, I'm stuck for words. I don't, I don't understand. It. I mean, if you want people to succeed, you can't possibly, you just can't possibly send someone to prison for so long and then say, Hey, we're going to let this cat out when he's 64 and hope he does great with his life. But like you said, you know, yeah, we can contribute to society in prison, but we can contribute to society by not sucking taxpayer dollars either. We could be out there working, you know, uh, working, paying taxes, helping, helping the community, helping the country in general. I mean, we can go to Alice Johnson and I always use Alice Johnson. Yeah, there's thousands and thousands of Alice Johnson's that deserve a second chance to reclaim their lives. I mean, even now, I mean. With this decision that had come out of the Second Circuit. I mean, it's very helpful to me in my case. But I'm out here living a law-abiding life. And I'm gonna to continue to do that because I appreciate what the framers found important. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So let's say a year and a half from now, the, the case goes to the Supreme Court, two years from now. Two years from now, I may be I may own two, three different businesses. I may be a taxpayer. Um, I'm not I am a taxpayer. But mm-hmm. what, what sense does it make to put me back into prison, to suck, ta- suck taxpayer dollars? Where is the benefit? Where is the Department of Justice? If our ultimate goal is to rehabilitate people and have them be productive members of society, why would we take a person, release them and put them back in prison? Matthew Charles, perfect example. I don't mm-hmm. want to be Matthew Charles. I don't want to be in that position. And I have to live every day of my life Wondering, am I going back tomorrow until the appeal and everything's done? And this could take up to two years. So I can't have a normal life.
0: Yeah, it, it makes you wonder if... I mean, the reason why they're not making these retroactive is if they make it retroactive and go back and do resentencing, you know, do the First Step Act, they're admitting a mistake at that point in time. They're saying that they got it wrong. And it's crazy to think that just... Maybe that inability to admit that they got it wrong would hold them from hold them back from doing the right thing, but that that's got to be an aspect of it,
1: I would think well, you know if again, if we go back to being a Department of Justice and just being good people, right? Just in general, hey, when you're wrong, it's all right to admit your mistake, right? Hey, we made a mistake. We wrongly sent these people to prison for the rest of their lives. We made a mistake. let's fix it. Why not? And it's not saying, you know, even if you make it retroactive, you're not saying, hey, we're going to let every person out of jail, but we're going to put it back in the federal sentencing judge's hands and say, hey, look, let's base it off his record. What has he done since he's been in prison? Is he a threat to public safety? And if he's proven himself or herself to be a a person that, you know, is not going to get out of jail and fail, then I think they should be given a second chance. Yeah.
0: To go back to uh, Alice Johnson for a minute here. You know, she gave the speech, and I think she did a fantastic job during the uh, Republican National Convention. Um, she got some, some flack from people in the criminal justice community for speaking at the RNC. Um, what, what's, what's your opinion on that in general?
1: Well, all right, we can, yeah, we can definitely talk about that. We, this is the thing, right? I think she should have spoke. President Trump gave her a second chance to reclaim her life when she was denied by President Obama. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that President Obama made a mistake by not releasing Alice Johnson. But how do we know that? We know that because she's been out of prison for a couple of years doing the right thing. She's a law abiding citizen. She's a grandmother. She's a mother. She pays taxes. I mean, Obama should have let her out. Right. And if he had he done so, she may not have been at the RNC. And, you know, some people might say, well, you know, I dislike Trump. Well, Trump's done a lot for the criminal justice reform movement. No matter what people say, President Trump has done that, um, and we can look at Joe Biden. The debates tonight, right? So mm-hmm. we can talk about Joe Biden and in, in, in the crime bill, and we say, "Oh, well, they made a mistake." Or we can look at Kamala Harris's uh, record on criminal justice reform. Oh yeah, I mean, let's look at that. People were on death row. She withheld evidence in some cases. I mean, it's all over the internet. I've read all that stuff. I read. Uh, I read uh, Michelle Alexander's book, the Jim Crow book. I mean. Go read this stuff. You talk about you know the ADPA twenty two fifty five your right to habeas corpus that the forefathers gave you. Bill Clinton and Joe Biden and the Democrats took that away. They took that away. Mm-hmm. They severely let you could be innocent and not be able to get out of prison because of those because because of what Bill Clinton and the Democrats did back then. So man, I, I hey, I think that Ellis uh, Johnson's a great person. I think she should have spoke. I mean, we can't say, oh, we hate Donald Trump. We hate President Trump when he let us out of prison. If it wasn't for President Trump, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. And that's the reality. Now, this is something that people should be thinking about. You've got Joe Biden. You've got Kamala Harris. They're talking about marijuana legislation, which is good. I have a friend that was sent. uh, I had a friend that was sent. Jimmy Romans was sent to prison for marijuana for life. But the stuff that they're talking about isn't real criminal justice reform. Not to me, it's not. I mean, we can't. Why is that? Well, because they talk about prison reform and marijuana. It's low level marijuana offenses, right? Mm -hmm. But what about people that got life? Let's go back. If if Joe Biden becomes the president, let's go back and take a look at the first step back. And let's start by changing what? The criminal justice reform aspects. The sentencing laws that you didn't make retroactive. That's got to be like the first step. That -hmm. shouldn't come two, three, four years from now. We're a society that should learn from our mistakes, right? At least that's what they say about felons. Well, we learned in 2010 that they changed the crack law, but it took till 2018 to make it retroactive, right? Why did it Mm -hmm. take so long? If it was wrong, why did it take eight years of people sitting in prison suffering? So are we going to do the same thing with the First Step Act? Is it going to take another eight years, 10, 12, 15 years?
0: Hey, let's take a real quick commercial break. I want to tell you about a great coffee company, Lorenzotti Italy. This is a company started by libertarians, two guys, Robert and Zach. They couldn't be more different, but they both love coffee and they love that experience of that small independent coffee shop. They actually love it so much that not only are they a coffee company that sells delicious coffee, but they help entrepreneurs and coffee enthusiasts set up their own business with equipment and financing and all that stuff. So what you can do to help them out and to help us out a little bit is you can go to laurenzotti.coffee, that's .coffee, not .com, and enter discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. Check it out at Laurenzotti, Italy. Coffee is their passion. They're just two guys who want to bring an excellent coffee to the US and make business easier and more profitable for the passionate entrepreneurs who provide the best coffee experiences for their patrons. Check it out. Lorenzati.coffee. Enter promo code Lions for ten percent off. Well, let me ask you that question. I mean, I know you know you're plugged into the uh, the criminal justice community and people that have, you know, contributed to the uh, the First Step Act. So that it's the first step, you know, there's supposed to be other steps after it. Well, why hasn't anything else happened in the past well that passed in 2018, right? So why haven't we seen, why do you think we haven't seen more?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. I think, I think that people are still mixed up on what they want. I think they want to put a narrative out there that, you know, this is the first step. There has to be a second step. And then you get into the excuse, well, election season's coming. Well, who cares if it's election season? Because the majority of Americans believe in criminal justice reform on both sides of the aisle, right? But you've got roadblocks out there like Ted Cruz and Cotton. And, I mean, there's guys out there like that that they're still under the, you know, lock them up and throw away the key thing. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln said once said uh, something about mercy. He said, uh, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. Now, there has to be some justice, right? But man, strict justice, we're giving people 10, 15, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. Why? Do we have to do that? Do we really have to do that? I can tell you this, John. It probably took me about four or five years to really change my life, right? For me to start saying, you know what? I do appreciate my freedom. And I was in some of the worst prisons in the United States. That helped wake me up. That helped me say, wow, this is wrong, man. I don't want to live like this. You know, and if I get a second chance, you know, I'm going to value it. You don't need 10, 15, 20 years in prison before you realize that. I mean, you you can re- you can start to realize that when, you know, things that people don't think about. You know, we hear prison stories and how bad prisons are. But let me tell you the small things that matter. When you go to bed hungry at night mm-hmm. or when someone's viciously assaulted and you witness that and you say, wow, and then you're locked in a cell For 45 days on lockdown, eating bologna sandwiches every single day. That's when you start to appreciate things and you say, wow, I don't want to live like this, man. So I don't think you need 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years in prison. We need real criminal justice reform. And I know we're, we're, you know, we're talking on this platform, but hey, hold these people accountable. Joe Biden wants your vote. Make them talk about more than just marijuana Mm -hmm. reform for a couple ounces of marijuana. We got guys in there that might have had 20 30 pounds of marijuana and got life sentences yeah, so a, a lot of about, people
0: a lot of people don't even know that that there's people in prison right now for life for selling pot <laughs> it's crazy.
1: my good my good friend James Romans yeah was sentenced to life in prison for marijuana nonviolent drug offender life how long has he been in for now uh, he's been in about 12 years you've got a guy right now Robert Evans his underlining offense nonviolent, African American, forty-three years old, serving life, paraplegic, has all kinds of medical issues uh, with his heart, his kidney, his liver. And honestly, if he doesn't get clemency, he's dying in prison because his federal sentencing judge just denied his compassionate release and pretty much said, "Well, you know, you got life. You know, You're, you know, people die in prison. Sorry." And that was down in Arkansas or Alabama. He's a paraplegic. Yeah, man. He deserves to get out of prison. Nonviolent African American, 43 years old, Robert Evans, and he's going to die in prison. And he's a paraplegic, man. That's ridiculous. That's outrageous. He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve to die in prison. Nobody does.
0: Maybe some people do in extreme violent, you know, cases of violent crimes. In that case, maybe. But I can't think of a single you know, a nonviolent drug crime where anyone would deserve to, to die in prison. That's, that's ridiculous.
1: You know, I had wrote an article a while ago for a publication. I believe it was in criminal legal news or prisoners legal news. You might remember Lester Holt went to visit a prison in uh, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. And he spent two or three days in the prison and there was an old guy that he went to interview and he tried to talk to him. And the guy told him, could you open my piece of candy for me? He couldn't even open his candy. He had been in prison like 45 years. Lester Holt opened the candy, gave it to him and walked out and he got a little emotional. He said, I can't, you know, I can't understand why no one would have compassion and let this guy go home and die. He's been in prison 45 years. Who can he harm in the community? And two weeks after the interview, he died. I mean, this is a reality in federal prison. This is happening every day in federal prison. People are, you know, people are buried alive in courtrooms across this nation. With life sentences you know we see people protesting right now john and they say you know hey you know this unarmed black man was shot and killed or the brianna taylor case those things are horrible right and and you know I'm, I'm against that stuff and you know i think it is horrible but there's hundreds and hundreds of unarmed, unarmed men and women being killed in federal courtrooms across this nation and you know this is a government for the people by the people is it really they want your vote. Criminal justice reform should be at the top of the list. And I'm not saying that because I'm a former prisoner or any of that stuff. I'm saying it because it's a humanitarian issue. You know, it's, it's what's right. You know, we need jobs. We, you know, we need to make sure that we're protected. We need all of that stuff, but you know, we also need real criminal justice reform. I mean, we live that we live in a nation where, you know, one of our models is freedom, right? But are we really free? That's, that's and i'm not question. and i'm not a bleeding heart liberal don't get it wrong i believe there has to be you know punishment i just think that the time should fit the crime and i think the ultimate goal should be rehabilitation it should be to get people to appreciate their freedom because if they do then the community's protected
0: that's an interesting point cuz you you brought up before you know talking about some of the terrible things you saw in prison you know people getting assaulted things like that and you know, people will say on the outside, you know, when something like that happens, you know, they'll say, "But prison's supposed to be tough; it's not supposed to be, you know, a walk in the park." What's your feelings on that? How, how, in an ideal society or in an ideal world, how do you think prison would act differently in a way to actually reform people, like? Should there be, you know, assaults happening and and threats of violence in prison or, you know, should that stuff, should it be more focused on, you know, actually giving people the tools they need to, uh, you know, build a career after they get out?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, I said this before I got, you know, I got a, I got an idea. I think if a guy comes to prison with a 20 year sentence, right. You got a prison for that guy. And you say, listen, you got a 20 year sentence, but you can earn your way out of prison really earn your way out of prison. I think the first two years should be spent on character education. I think the next two years you should be taught a trade or have to get a college degree. And then the last two years, if you got a college degree the first two, then you get a trade. And if you wanna come to this prison and you wanna assault people, and you wanna stab people, well, we got a prison for you. And we're gonna put you in that prison over there in Big Sandy in Kentucky because you don't wanna behave. This is your chance to get out. This is your opportunity. You want a second chance? Here it is. You don't have to do 20 years. You can do six years because I think in six and a half to seven years, I think we can educate people. We can get people to appreciate their freedom. We can, you know, we can educate these people to get out of prison and say, hey, I want to be a father. I want to be a husband. I want to be a law abiding citizen. I think you can teach people that within six years and give them the tools to succeed. If that's our real mission, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing for women. Uh, If you want to get out of prison, we have this for you. But if you want to be involved in this type of stuff, we got a prison for you. But you also have to change the culture with the with the prison staff, with the guards, with the with with the unit teams and the wardens, because I'm telling you now, these people are horrible. They're horrible. Walking around denying people compassionate release. They scream at you. They treat you worse than a dog. The way they talk to you. I've seen them assault people. Now, are all prisoners great guys? No, they're not. But if there was some incentive to do the right thing, i bet you they changed their lives because I can tell you that the majority, 95% of the prisoners, and I've been in some prisons with some bad dudes. I was in USP Big Sandy. I was in USP Pollock, all violent maximum security prisons. Most people want a second chance to get out. And will they do the right thing with it? I think they would if you gave them the tools to succeed. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a good idea. I mean, I I like that. Giving people... Giving people the choice, the opportunity. I, I mean, because people need hope. If you don't have hope, probably you're going to resort to violence. You're gonna you're going to fall into the same traps you're in before if you have no hope. So I like well, it. I hadn't heard that before.
1: Well, that's the thing, John. Like a lot of people think, oh, the BOP has all these wonderful programs, and you know, for guys that really want to change their lives, man, most of the time that stuff's bullcrap. The public doesn't know it's bullcrap. It just is, man. These these programs are ridiculous. They, they write stuff down on paper. I mean, and they say, oh, yeah, he took 10 programs, and the guy doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Because they're not committed. The cops aren't, the guards aren't committed. The, the administration's not committed. And then people wonder, well, why are they assaulting people? Well, <clears throat> I can tell you this. People go to bed hungry a lot in there. The food's absolutely horrible. So when you, and then with the working, they used to be able to make a little money. Now they pay guys $5, $10 a month. So if a guy's making 5 or $10 a month, they can't even buy soap, deodorant, toothpaste, and shampoo. So if they don't have anything, what do you think they start doing, John? They start stealing. Mm-hmm. And then when someone steals something, the violence comes in. That's when you see these prisoners getting – I mean, there's other prisoners that do things they shouldn't do, but a lot of it stems from that. You know, you see guards assaulted. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to assault a guard. Usually it's, it, it's in response. I had a, a cellmate that stabbed the CO eight or nine times in USP Big Sandy. And, you know, people don't hear the whole story, but the CO went in the cell, destroyed the cell, opened up his peanut butter, stuck his personal pictures in the peanut butter, threw everything all over the cell, ripped up his clothes, opened up his cereal, dumped it all over his bed, oatmeal and granola. I mean, and then people respond. Like for, for what reason did he do that just to be an asshole? Yeah, just to be nasty. They do it just to be nasty, buddy. It's outrageous. And I'm yeah. not making this stuff up. I, I, I've, I've heard I've heard, heard the stories. Put, just I'm like, just trying to put icing on the cake. This is what's really going on in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in my own decision, my judge said that the government manufactured evidence with the SIS technician at the prison I was at to try to keep me in prison. They lied. They made up stuff. And the judge caught them. You know, so it's just this is what's really going on in there.
0: Yeah, well I mean of, of course the, the BOP I shouldn't say of course but you can see why they ha- would have an incentive to keep prisoners in prison because it's a job for them, it's funding for them, it, it keeps it keeps the 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 business model going of the uh, of the prisons, which is a ridiculous reason and that shouldn't, it shouldn't be a reason, but uh there's there has to there has to be some way to turn that around. There has to be some way to break that cycle.
1: Well, I told you it has to be a culture change. Yeah. And you know how you break it? You put body cam cameras on them and hold them accountable. Yeah. I mean, you got body cameras on cops out here. You know, people are, you know, police are killing unarmed people and we're putting body cameras on the police and oh, well, the funding, well, we got all kinds of money for all kinds of other stuff. So let's put uh, let's put some body cameras on, on prison guards, federal prison guards and let's see, let's see how many Prisoners, they walk up and beat on and do, there's some mental health patients in there. And sometimes, man, they just do things to them that you'd be, you'd be shocked. I mean, these people aren't mentally stable. They handcuff them, beat them. They, they four point them. I don't know if you know what a four point is, but they'll strip you naked. They'll handcuff your left arm to a bed, your right arm to the bed, your left ankle and your right ankle to the bed. And they'll leave you there for hours upon hours and just listen to people scream. They defecate. They urinate on themselves. They get no food. They get no water. So that's, that's what's really yeah, important. It's, it's sick, man. In a civilized nation, huh? Yeah. That promotes freedom.
0: Well, probably a lot of these BOP uh, people have the uh, the mental health issues. If they're doing this to uh, to other human beings, it's disgusting. But I mean, two things you brought the body cameras. I think that's an outstanding idea in some capacity. Implementing that. And, you know, talking about food, a lot of people people underestimate the difference that good food would make. I mean, food makes – I mean, you, you could probably tell the difference now between how you felt when you were in prison and how you feel now, you know, eating better food and you know, getting better nutrition. It's probably
1: night and day. Well, I'll be honest with you. I just buy stuff to taste it sometimes. <laughs> as long as, I mean, yeah. I mean, food is comfort in prison, right? And a lot of – In prison, most people hustle. They have hustles, right? But everybody's hustling for one thing most of the time. That is to be able to make a nice meal at night. That's your enjoyment in prison is being able to make a bowl of nachos or, you know, it's a pretty popular thing. They have these things in there they call chimichangas, like they deep fry these flour tortillas. I mean, that's that's what everyone's hustling for. So if the food was better and you had better programs, you'd probably see some different things. Mm -hmm. I know in some of these state prisons, they allow people to order out pizzas and stuff like that. And some people might say, well, they're prisoners. They shouldn't be allowed to order pizzas. Well, you know what? When you give them incentive, they behave, but it also helps out the local community, the local guy that has a pizza shop or a submarine shop. So, I mean, it's a win-win all the way around the board. If you tell people, hey, you can order pizzas once a month, you'd be surprised how many people would think twice about behaving or misbehaving, just about something as small as a pizza
0: hmm <clears throat> It's a little incentive. It goes a long way. Well, Chad, we're uh we're running up on the end here. So wanted to give you some time to uh we didn't get to talk about if you if you want to talk about Rodney Love too, we didn't get to talk about him. I know you wanted to bring up bring up his case, so if
1: you want to go into that. Yeah. Um Rodney Love, man, real good friend of mine, still fighting his case. Had stacked nine twenty four C's at the age of twenty two, I believe it was. He was sentenced to life plus thirty years in federal prison. Um He's had a motion in on his 924C stacking for about six months now. I did all the work on it originally. He ended up getting an attorney after I got out of prison. I mean, this dude, if he doesn't get Obama granted him clemency and knocked it down, to, I think, 35 years. But if this guy does not get out on a compassionate release, I don't know what compassion is. He lost his mother since he's been in prison. And three days ago, he lost his father. Um, this guy really changed his life. I think he's, he's been in there. I want to say he's been there 23 24 years he deserves a second chance and if if he doesn't get it through compassionate release i'm praying that president trump grants rodney love clemency man he deserves it the guy i spoke about earlier robert evans african-american paraplegic for marijuana underlining offense life he does not deserve to die in prison james romans does not deserve to die in prison he had life for a marijuana charge um my good friend, Christopher Hunter, 35 years for 500 grams of cocaine. He's in his 50s now. Does not deserve to die in prison. Um, there's an African-American woman. I to, I'd want to. like to say something about her, Shannon Bentley in USP. She's in uh, Coleman in the women's prison camp, which has been riddled with Legionnaire disease, uh, COVID-19, and big sexual assault. Situation going on down there with the guards sexually assaulting the women. There's a case,
0: case, right?
1: Yeah, it's going uh, on. It's it's being litigated now. Shannon Bentley, Adrian Miller, Cleola Sullivan. These are women that are down there in in a place that's just flooded with COVID-19. And the judges denied their compassionate release. Why? These women are not a threat to the community. Changed their lives. Nonviolent drug offenders that may very well die. They had a woman die there about a month ago. They told her, oh, you'll be all right. Go back to your bed. Well, the next day she died. She wasn't all right. So Sunita Dill, she's another African-American woman over there, nonviolent drug crime. These people deserve a second chance to reclaim their lives. And the things that prisoners have gone through, John, right now, with the whole COVID-19 pandemic, I can assure you, you because I know a lot about what's going on in there, I can assure you that these people have even more respect for their freedom. Because they see how easily they can lose their lives. When you watch another 35-year-old woman die from COVID-19, and she's 35 years old, you start saying, wow, that could be me. Yeah. So, hey, I mean, the election's coming up, the debate's tonight. People should hold people accountable, man. Don't forget what Joe Biden's done. Don't forget what Trump's done. And demand what you want. Because it's a government for the people, by the people.
0: Hundred percent agree, Chad Marks. Thank you uh, for coming back on the show and uh, you know sharing sharing your knowledge of uh, all these all these important cases, all these important all these individuals, human beings who are who are stuck in prison for no good reason. So thanks again, Chad, for for coming on the show. Appreciate it.
1: Appreciate you having
0: me, John. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Felony Friday. Another awesome episode. Just want to remind everyone before you get going here, after your next uh, next podcast or your shuffle or whatever it is you're doing with your uh, your day today. I want to thank you for giving me your time and uh, listening to this interview. I want to ask you, please. To share this with a friend. The only way that we're going to expand this message, that we're going to reform this criminal justice system, is by sharing interviews just like this with your network. Very easy to do. And I also want to ask you to please, if you have not yet checked it out, you need to go to the Lions of Liberty store. It's lionsofliberty.store. We have a bunch of new T-shirt designs, really interesting stuff, really eye-catching designs. Uh, Of course, our Taxation is Death shirt has been a hit. It's selling like crazy. We now have the, uh, the Tax On Wax Off shirt. Just awesome, and, and there's more coming. We're really trying to get into uh, what we're calling it the Lions of Liberty brand of shirts. So, you're going to get the cool design on the front, and then up just real small, up by the tag on the back, you're going to have our Are You Ready to Roar logo. Uh, we're trying to, you know, take another angle here and influence people through uh, you know, some snazzy t shirts. So, check it out lionsofliberty.store. And remember, if you're in the Lions of Liberty Pride, you get 20% off. So for as little as 5 bucks a month, you're going to get 20% off all your T-shirt orders. So to join the Pride, go to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great weekend or week or whenever you're listening to this. Just have an awesome day. I'll talk to you next week. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up. And the fire is liberty burning.